The following lesson is brought to you by The Church of Christ on McDermott Road. Hope everybody had a great day. I'm sure we'll have more people come in as soon as we get started, but we're going to go ahead and start anyway. Let's pray. Father God, for another day, we thank you. We thank you for all the blessings that this day has held and will continue to hold. Thank you for the opportunities that have been presented to us. We pray, Father, that you've been glorified today, that you're glorified in this class tonight, that you're glorified as we seek to understand and apply your word to our life. Father, we pray for those that couldn't be here tonight. We pray that you bless them and help them, encourage them, help us to encourage them and help them any way we can. Father, we, we have failed in many ways today, and we confess our failures to you, Father. We've done things and said things that we shouldn't have, and we've failed to do things that we should have. And Father, we pray that you forgive us. We have confidence in your mercy and your grace because of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. Because of his resurrection, we have hope that in spite of our sins, that we will be cleansed and we will be resurrected with Christ on the day of resurrection and that we will spend eternity with you, Father. And we look forward to that day. And Lord, it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Okay, church, let's uh, review real quick. Um, soul, spirit, heart, those are the specific terms we've talked about, even though we've talked about a lot of different things in this class as far as what it means to be a human being. Um, most importantly, I never want us to lose, lose sight of, um, in Latin, the term is imago Dei, right? It's image of God to be made in God's image, to be image bearers of God. That is the primary thing, the primary idea and concept and theme around what it means to be human is that you are an image bearer of God. That's why it's wrong for us to murder each other is because we are image bearers of God. That is our relation to God. That is our relation to each other. Um, it defines and shapes um, everything that we are and everything that we do. And so we need to always keep everything we talk about in the context of that we are image bearers of God. Okay, so let's talk about uh, these different aspects, maybe. Um, I really don't like the term parts, parts of being a human. Um, because we tend to think in sections. You know, we tend to think like um, the top part, the bottom part, the middle part, something like that, um, when I don't think that's really the best way to think of it. Um, but let's, let's kind of go through again. As far as the Old Testament is concerned, tonight we're going to get into the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, soul means what? Nefesh. What's that? Yes, it's nefesh, so it's Hebrew. So what, what, what is that? Somebody said... Creature, yes. So creature, I heard another word. Being, that's my favorite word. Being, maybe one that started with an L. Life, a life. Okay, different than, well, no, yeah, we can say that. So, so in a sense, and I, and I like the word life too, because that's really helpful. Because in a sense, I could ask you, are you a life or do you have a life? Or somebody might tell you to go get a life, but that's different. Um, but, but are you a life? Is a life something you are or something that you have? Both. Both. That's exactly right. Both. And soul would be the same way. So the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about soul in terms of something that you are. You are a living nefesh. You are a living soul. Um, so it is something that you are. 
but it's also something that you have. You have life. And so if your life is ebbing away from you, if you're dying, um, then you could say you're losing your life, right? Um, okay, so life is something that you are and something that you have. Being is a little bit different in English, but that's another good word because uh, we are a living nefesh. We are a living being or creature. If we're talking about an animal, uh, we wouldn't really call a human a creature because that carries with it certain connotations. So soul is a, a life, a being, a creature. Spirit, what's spirit? Breath, yes, breath. So in a, in a, in a very literal sense, and I'm going to put that here, literally it's breath, right? Um, but when we talk about spirit, we're really not talking about the literal meaning of it. We're talking about the metaphor, right? We're talking about um, the aspect of human being, because breath is a, a literal thing, right? It's something that's literally within you. Our spirit is a, is a metaphor for something that's really there, but it's intangible, right? It's an intangible aspect of us. Um, and what does our spirit stand for or our spirit represent? Ruach, yeah, that's the Hebrew word, ruach. And what is that? What, when, when the Hebrew writers talk about their ruach, what are they meaning? Okay, yeah, that's another literal wind, meaning of it. Wind, air, all those are literal meanings. Yes, good. It's what animates us. Yes, it's invisible. So it's an invisible power, like wind or air or breath. It's an invisible power that animates our behavior, right? Not, I mean, our air or breath literally animates our body, but our spirit animates our behavior, right? So other words that would be correlating would be mood or maybe inclination or um, thoughts or thought. Um, what, well, it, it would definitely animate an action. It would motivate an action. So, so yeah, maybe motivate or motivation. Um, what's that? Influence. Influ yeah, absolutely. So it, 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 another word for animate might be influence. So your spirit influences your behavior. It's an invisible part of you that it, it's kind of like our emotions, but it's also kind of like our thoughts. Um, and and it, it influences, that's a good word, it influences our behavior. But it's also something that we can and should control, absolutely rule over. In fact, that was my devotional with my boys last night. We used to have a metaphor in our house um, to talk about self-control, and the metaphor was monster, <laughs> that, that you have to control your monster. Um, and so when Malachi would get mad... Uh, don't tell him I said he gets mad, but uh, when he would get upset, it was almost like the monster was getting out of his cage, and we'd tell him, you gotta, you got to control that monster and put it back in its cage. Now, that's a metaphor, right? And everybody knows that it's a metaphor, but there really is an intangible part of him that is out of control, right? The way that the Old Testament might put it is that's his spirit, right? Now, I, I, I would hesitate now when I think about it as a spirit, as his spirit, to call his spirit a monster. I don't think his spirit's a monster, but it is an invisible, powerful part of him that is animating or influencing his behavior. And, and I talked to them last night. It's like wind in your sails, and you have to control it. You have to, you have to rule over your spirit, okay? So that's, that's spirit, uh, soul, spirit, um, heart. 
Very similar, very similar. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we go. In fact, that's one of my big first questions. So bring me back to that. But uh huh. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when both the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about an evil spirit, that's an outside an outside influence that really is like a monster, right? It's an invisible, powerful, animating, influencing being, um, power that is moving them in another direction, right? So that's an outside spirit. It's not that person's spirit, but it's an evil spirit that has an influence on their behavior. We could also talk about God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, that's God's divine presence that's invisible and animates and influences. Okay, heart. Okay, emotions. It's the seat of our emotions. And that's how we typically tend to think of it too, right? That's how the Hebrew writer would have thought of it. Um, And that's how the English person would think about it, American person would think about it. But they would also put in this category what? Mind, right? Uh, They didn't really have a concept for brain. Um, I mean, I'm sure they knew that someone had a big organ in their head and their skull, uh, but when they talked about the mind, a lot of times they were using the heart as that metaphor that was both the seat of the emotions and the seat of logic and thinking, learning, reason. Yeah, all of those things, when Solomon in Proverbs talks about wisdom and learning, it happens in your heart, right? Um, that's, that's the place where all of those things dwell. So again, as we've said before, and I want, I want to hammer this home. Because we have a tendency to be very black and white kind of people, right? We have a tendency to put everything in its category and to say, this is this, this is that. Um, And in fact, I I had a conversation with some preachers this week, and we were talking about this concept of soul and spirit. Those are two phrases that get thrown around a lot. Um, In fact, Brother Patterson's son, Kevin, was the very first person that I'd ever had a conversation with. And he asked me, what's the difference between your soul and your spirit? and, and I said, well, I think they're practically the same thing, right? Um, in fact, we, and, and these preachers in this group, a lot of them were saying that they're interchangeable. Um, I, I wouldn't say they're interchangeable. I wouldn't say that they're used interchangeably. What I would say is that they have overlapping meanings, okay? Um, and I think that's going to help us to understand all of these concepts, that your soul and your spirit and your heart that they're used differently to talk about different aspects of being human. I like that word aspects, but there is an overlap, right? So your soul, primarily when the Old Testament talks about your soul, it's primarily talking about your life, right? Your being, your, your, your real physical existence, you know, that, that comes and goes, whatever. But it can also mean the core of me, right? from the core of me. So when I say, I love God with all my soul, I, I mean that I love God from the very core of me. And do you see how that overlaps with the idea of spirit? That when I say that um, my spirit is moving me in a certain direction, I may be kind of talking about my mood or my inclination, my thoughts. So there's an overlap between what my soul is thinking, what, what I feel or think in my inner being, um, and with my spirit, and also with heart, right? There's an overlap there, too. So what I want us to see is that there is 
there's an overlap. And we see that overlap throughout the Bible uh, between soul and spirit and heart, but they, they're not interchangeable. You see the difference between interchangeable and overlapping? Um, I, I don't know, house and home might be two words that we might use the same or use like that, that there's a lot of overlap between what a house is and what a home is, but they're not really interchangeable because they'd have different connotations. That might be a bad example, but sure, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Their usage determines their meaning. And so there is an overlap in, in their usage. Um, there's some things that, oh, there's some concepts or ideas that you couldn't use spirit for. That wouldn't be an appropriate word. Or you couldn't use heart for. That wouldn't be an appropriate word. You, you wouldn't use heart to mean my, my physical existence, my being, right? Uh, but you might use it to talk about your emotions. You might use soul or heart or spirit. If you're talking about your emotions or even your thoughts, you might say that comes from my heart. You might say it comes from my spirit. You might say it comes from my soul. Why? Well, because there's a lot of overlap. You, you could almost say that your spirit is within your soul, right? I know that's kind of weird to think about it that way, but your soul is you. You are a living being um, in a very literal way. God formed Adam, right? Out of the dust. He made a little clay man, right? And then he breathed into him a his, his spirit, his breath, and he became a living soul, right? And so your soul, your, your living being, literally has breath in it, but it also has your invisible thoughts, your mood, your inclination. So in your soul is your spirit, okay? Um, I don't know that it's ever talked about that way, but we do read in the New Testament that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can separate soul and spirit, right? So they're, they're not interchangeable, but there's overlap, okay? So I hope that makes sense. Uh, I think it'll make more sense as we keep going on throughout the New Testament. Okay, so the New Testament word here, we're going to erase some of this. The New Testament word is psuche. It starts with the P. Let me write it down. Um, psuche. Okay. Uh, what English word comes from that? Psyche, right? So psyche um, or psychology, right? Psychology or, uh, uh, psych yeah. So all of those types of words come from psuche, um, which we usually, usually translate as soul. Now, here's where it gets confusing, challenging, difficult. Um, okay, so what language is the New Testament written in? Greek. What's that? Yeah, exactly. Koine Greek. So it's written in Greek. And, and so like Matthew, we'll spend some time in Matthew this, this evening. What, what language is Matthew written in? Greek. Now, what language was Jesus speaking probably? Aramaic, which is like Hebrew, right? And so here you have Jesus speaking in Aramaic. And then Matthew later, much later, writing down what Jesus said and did. And by the inspiration of God's spirit, um, God's ruach, um, writing that down in Greek. And so there is some translation going on and there's some interpretation going on, right? Um, to say, so Matthew is saying to his audience, this is what Jesus 
was saying, right? This was what Jesus, and sometimes you'll even find that in some of the gospel accounts, you'll have them put in kind of parenthetically, and that means this, right? Because their audience might not have realized what that meant. If they say, well, the Aramaic words were this, but that means this in Greek, right? Um, and that's sometimes why you see a difference between some of the gospel accounts, and you think, well, why did Jesus say it this way in Matthew, and why did this Jesus say it this way in Luke? Well, it's not because they're lying to you. It's because when you have two different translators, if I had two translators standing up here tonight, and one of them was translating to you guys, and then I had another translator that was taking what I said and translating it for the teenagers, would the translations be exactly the same? No, because no, the audience is different, right? And so they're going to translate it a little bit different because maybe some of the words I use with you or that this translator would use with you wouldn't quite mean the same thing to our teenage audience, right? And so just because you have four different Greek audiences, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, doesn't necessarily mean that they would all understand all the concepts exactly the same. Now, you also have the fact that um, you have a lot of people using the Greek language, right? You have philosophers, and, and even what the philosophers, what the Epicureans or the Stoics thought about the human existence, what they thought about soul or spirit or mind, what they believed, differed from each other, not to mention differed from Jews, right? The Jews would have thought of the human existence very differently than, than Greeks, than, you know, than pagans thought about the human existence. They, they, the, the origins of, of human existence and what it means to be a human being is very different. Their worldview was very different. But now we have these two very different groups of people, the pagans and the Jews, using this, the very same language. And so you have people like the gospel writers, but also like Paul. And Paul understands, he understands the pagan mind. He understands Romans and Greeks and how they think. He understands philosophy. He understands what the philosophers think. Uh, but he also understands the law. He understands Moses and Abraham. He understands Yahweh. He understands the God of heaven. He understands what it means to be a human being in terms of the Hebrew mind and their Hebrew worldview, right? So... I mean, and, I, and this probably is um, a rhetorical question, but just think about this. Do you suppose that the New Testament writers and what they're really trying to get across has more in common with the Old Testament, or do you suppose that has more in common with the Greek philosophers of their time? The Old Testament, right? Because they're consistent, right? And, and we truly believe that the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that guided Moses as he wrote the Torah, is guiding Paul as he writes the epistles. Question on that, then, if the Jewish scripture, is it? Right. Then that, that's the Hebrew Bible in Greek. In Greek, absolutely. That would have some type of translation yes. into the New Testament. Yes. And that understanding would be consistent. Yes. So to move back and forth in the Greek from the New, right. You could have a very consistent interpretation and meaning of soul, spirit, psyche, heart. Yes, absolutely. So, if you, in case you didn't hear what Warren said, um, so so we have, um, for the most part, and and there's there's discrepancies and those kind of things, but for the most part, we have the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. So we can say, for the most part, when when the Old Testament says nefesh, soul, 
uh, the, the, the Greek would translate that as psuche, right? Now, again, if you were to talk to a Jew living in first century Palestine and you said psuche, if they could speak Greek or read Greek, then they would probably think of it in terms of the Hebrew nefesh, right? Um, but if you were to travel by boat over to Rome or to go to one of the Greek cities around the sea and you were to say psuche, now their concept of what the soul is might be very different. And I, I think that that's, that sometimes has influenced the way we tend to read the New Testament because we tend to read the New Testament through the lens of Greek philosophers more than we do through the lens of the Old Testament. And I, and I think that's a mistake. Um, I think that we have to read it understanding that the Holy Spirit carried all these men along. The language has changed. Uh, we're using a different language. We're communicating to a totally different group of people, um, but it's still the same God. and It's still the same human existence. On top of that, here's another thing that's kind of makes our discussion interesting. Um, that on top of that, you had very early on in Christian history, the Gnostics. And what does Gnosis mean? Knowledge, right? So the Gnostics believed that there was this secret hidden wisdom and knowledge and that if you had this knowledge that you were unlocked to the secrets of the universe and uh, you could kind of um, ascend, you know, in, in a way and that you could detach yourself from the, the physical realm and get in touch with the spiritual realm. And, and so you had this Gnosticism that grew out of Christianity in, in maybe the end of the first century, but mostly in the second and, and coming centuries. So you have this, this Gnostic tradition that grew up that was kind of a blend of what they found in Christianity, but mostly what they found in Greek philosophy. And so they were trying to marry Greek philosophy along with, with, um, with Christianity. Um, had very little to do with their Hebrew you know, with, with the Hebrew, with what the, the Old Testament said, because these were Greek people. These were Greek philosophers who were marrying the two concepts together. I'm afraid that a lot of times when we talk about soul and spirit and body and the human existence, what we're talking about sounds a whole lot more, again, from my limited knowledge, but sounds a whole lot more like Gnosticism than it does like Bible like especially the Old Testament Bible. So again, I think that we have, to, we have to root everything that we're talking about in terms of Paul, Paul saw the world through the Spirit of God, right? Which means that not only the Spirit inspired him, but he knew the Torah, he knew the law and the prophets. And that's what shaped his thinking and his writing, even though he was using Greek and communicating with Greek people. Um, so again, while... We might use metaphors to help us to kind of understand things, like um, since I'm talking to 21st century Americans, I might use a computer as an analogy, right? And I say, okay, well, it's kind of like your body is a computer, uh, the hardware, um, and your spirit is kind of like the software, right? I could say that, and you would get what that means. Now, would it break down some? Because that's not really a concept they had in their mind. Yeah, it would break down some, right? And so we've, we've got to be very careful and just as much as we can, and it's going to be really hard for us to get fully into their mindset, but you know, we, understand, we, we already understand the gospel, right? We're just trying to experience a little bit more of what does it mean to be a human being, um, and what does it mean to look at the world 
through the lens that the biblical writers looked at the world through. Okay? So when preachers use terms like the original word for this was, and they were really talking Greek, mm -hmm. the original word would have actually been more focused to Hebrew. That's, that's, a good, that's a good question. You know, so when we talk about the Greek words, um, you, you have two sources, you have two, you have an intersection, right? You have an intersection between um, the, the God of the Israelites. And that's what we have to understand, that, that salvation is from the Jews, right? J Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, salvation is from the Jews. Um, and so we have to understand that the Bible is primarily about how God used the people of Israel to bring his saving son into the world to reign as king, right? right. But the New Testament is also taking that story and intersecting it with the, the people of their day, right? And so they're explaining to the people of their world in Greek, uh, their modern language and in modern concepts and sometimes in modern metaphors and sometimes even borrowing Greek philosophy to explain to them, this is who Yahweh is. This is who the God of heaven is and this is who his son is, and this is what redemption is. And so there, there's an intersection between Hebrew thought and Greek thought. But again, if there's, if there's a discrepancy and you say, well, how can it be that? Um, when that doesn't seem to jive with the Old Testament, then we go with the Old Testament, right? We right. seek for consistency right. because it's the same God. Um, so again, I, and, and I, I hope that that doesn't Confuse anybody because I think it'll I think it'll simplify itself as we as we go through it. So let's look at Matthew chapter two and verse twenty. First of all, Matthew two and verse twenty. I'm pretty sure all the references on your worksheet are correct. So if you want to work ahead, you can. Um, but you know, you, you trust me, it's about as far as you can throw me. So uh, Matthew two twenty, saying, "Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel." For those, this is while Jesus and his family were in Egypt. Uh, for those who sought the child's psuche, his life or soul, are dead. Now, in that context, very first time it's used in the book of Matthew, what does, what does it mean by psuche? Life. life, right? Your physical existence, right? It doesn't mean, you know, I mean, they weren't seeking Jesus' soul, right? As we would think of soul, like his invisible ghost or something. They wanted to kill him, right? That's what it means. Uh, they, they sought his life. Um, and so, psuche, in that sense, means life, physical existence. Matthew 6, 25. This is Jesus talking, Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your psuche. <laughs> Don't be anxious about your psuche, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is, life more than, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So again... Um, if we translated that as soul, man, that would sound really weird coming out of Jesus' mouth, wouldn't it? Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your soul, right? What you'll eat or what you'll drink or your body, what you'll put on. What does Jesus mean by psuche there? It's life, right? Yeah, you're living your existence, right? Your being. Don't be concerned about your living being, your living existence. And your living being, your soul, your psuche, is sustained by doing what in the text? Eating, drinking, right? Eating and drinking sustains your psuche. It sustains your soul, right? Um, at least in this context. Look at Matthew 10 and verse 28. And do not fear those, here's where we get a little bit different, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the psuche. 
Rather fear him who can destroy both psuche, soul, and body in hell. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, here we're, we're talking about a little bit different, right? But let me ask you something. If, if I say, if we, if we switch out the words with, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the existence, or the life, or the being. Rather fear him who can destroy both existence, being, and body in hell. Does that still make sense? Yeah. And so we, we see that maybe even for the first time, maybe if we're just reading through, maybe, if we're just reading through from the beginning and we were talking about the nefesh in the Hebrew and then we started transition into Matthew and we start talking about the psuche, for the very first time we see that you can be alive, a soul, and, and that's a little bit different than your body, right? Now, most of the time, Still, as we read on, we're still going to see that most of the time, almost every time, the word psuche is used or the word soul is used. It's talking about your life that is sustained by eating and drinking, right? That, that, that kind of life. But Jesus here gives us a hint that people can kill your body, but they can't kill your existence, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's probably not. It's probably Soma. I'm not positive. I don't have it in front of me, but it's Soma, I think. Yeah. And so, so, so Jesus says, listen, your, your Soma, your body can be killed by people, but one, the one can kill both your body and your soul in hell, right? Uh, Gehenna. Um, so, so now we see that, that perhaps, perhaps there's a distinction even between body and soul. But again, don't lose sight of the fact that when we think soul, we automatically think something disconnected from a bodily existence. And that's not at all what was ever in any biblical author's mind, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that it can't exist separate from the body. Obviously, it can, right? Jesus says they both can be destroyed in Gehenna. But... When we think of soul, we automatically categorize it as something not bodily. When, when Jesus says in Matthew 6, 25, don't be anxious about your psuche, he, he means your bodily existence, right? Most of the time, it means your bodily existence, your bodily life. Look at Matthew 16 and verse, verses 25 and 26. Now it gets really complicated, and, and here I might even lose myself. I'm not sure. Um, okay, this one's really hard. Okay. For whoever would save his psuche will lose it, but whoever loses his psuche for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his psuche? Or what shall a man give in return for his psuche? Now, in your Bible, that's not how it reads, is it? It uses two different words four different times, right? It uses life, life in verse 26, 25, and soul, soul in verse 26. Now, that's not wrong, because psuche can mean life, it can mean soul, but it kind of clouds it, doesn't it? When we've moved over to English, we lose sight of the fact that this is the same word. If you're listening to Jesus talk, and, and he, again, I know he's speaking in Aramaic, but if you're reading what Matthew writes here, it's the same word. Jesus says, for whoever would save his existence, 
right? His being, his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his existence, life, for my sake, will find it. What does he mean by that? Okay, soul. But if we said soul, it would sound really funny, right? It's like Jesus is encouraging us to lose our soul. And we would think that meant, you know, like be condemned or something, right? But that's not what he's talking about, right? He says, if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, then you'll what? You'll find it, right? The only way to find real life, to have a real life and existence and being, is to be willing for my sake to lose it. Yes, sir? Okay. Right. 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 Well, that's that that that's a good point. Um, and and you're right that it is God's Holy Spirit that connects to our spirit. But again, and this is why we couldn't. We couldn't, we could not put the word spirit here where our Bibles say soul because it wouldn't, it wouldn't work, right? Uh, because what Jesus is saying is he's talking about, at least, especially in verse 25, he's talking about your physical existence, right? That if you're willing to die, that's what he means, you know, lose your life means die. So if you're willing to die, then you'll find your life. But if you're wanting only to save your life and you're only concerned about preserving your life, then you're going to lose it, right? You're going to lose your life if you're only concerned about saving it. Then verse 26, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he forfeits life, right? And there's, a, there's a tie between 25 and 26, and we lost it because we translated it as a different word, and I don't know why we did that, because it's the same idea, because he's, it's kind of a circle, right? He's saying, you, all you're concerned about is preserving your life, all you want to do is stay alive. But I'm telling you, if you're willing to die for my sake, you'll really live, right? You'll really live. Okay, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Sure. And so, and so he says, if you're willing to die, then you'll really live. But what, what would it benefit you if you held on to everything the world has to offer, if you gain the whole world, but you, you die. Your body and psuche is destroyed in Gehenna, right? Um, or what will a man give in return for his psuche? If you lost it, if you die, if you don't exist, or if you're destroyed, or you're in punishment, or whatever, then what would you give to have that back? And right now, you have to make a choice. Which do you love more, me? or your psuche, your life? Which do you love more? Do you love your psuche more or do you love me more? If you love me more and you're willing to give up your psuche, then you'll have everything and you'll have the real life. But if you insist on only caring about your psuche, your life, then even that you'll lose. Right. They are dead to the world. Right. And they're living. Right. And they're finding them. Right. They're finding themselves. Yes. In a living manner. 
Right. So it doesn't always have to mean that they they get executed. Right. And doing that, they find sure. No. Right. But they give up their life. Right, absolutely, and but they're the, but they're willing to, right? I mean, they're, they're willing. They're, they're so surrendered to Jesus that they're willing to die. And like when Jesus talks about take up your cross and follow me, he's not just saying do hard stuff for me. He's saying take up your electric chair and follow me, right? Take up your lethal injection and follow me, because that's what you're probably going to get if you follow me. You probably are going to die. Both Peter and Paul and every one of the apostles, except for John, probably, and they tried their best to kill him, but they all lost their psuche, their life, right? But, well, we'll talk about the end because I, I can't wait to get to the good news. So, um, okay, so Jesus says, listen, you've got to care about something more than your soul. <laughs> and I know that sounds funny to us because when we think of soul, we think of something else. But when the Bible's talking about soul, it's primarily talking about your life, your existence, your being, right? Uh, Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his psuche as a ransom for many. Now, does, does that mean Jesus is condemned? No. When he says he gave his soul for the ransom for many, it means he, he died, right? right? He gave his soul as a ransom for many. Um, Matthew 22, 37. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your psuche, your soul, and with all your mind. So again, that's quoting from the, uh, from the Shema, thank you, and, um, and saying your psuche is your nefesh, right? Um, Mark 3, 4. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save psuche or to kill? But they were silent. Um, Luke 1, And Mary said, my psuche magnifies the Lord, my soul magnifies the Lord. So again, do you see all kinds of correlation between nefesh and psuche? Yeah. I mean, no contradiction, right? No contradiction. It's, it's the same idea. It is primarily your existence, your being, your life, and connected to, for the most part, your physical existence. Although Jesus does hint that somebody can kill your body and not kill your psuche, but that God could. Um, and I will say to my soul, Luke 12, 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be married. Now there, again, just like Nefesh, um, I, I think we could say self, right? I will say to myself, self, you have many ample goods, right? And that's what he means. It's the rich man, and he's saying, I've got lots of stuff. And he's saying, I will say to my being. I will say to my existence. I'll say to myself. Uh, nefesh could be used the same way. Uh, John 10, verse 11. Verse 20, I don't, I don't have it in front of me. I just have my notes. He said, but God said to him, fool, this night you're a nefesh. I mean, your soul right. is required. Right, right. Yep, exactly. Uh, John 10 and verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his psuche for the sheep, his life for the sheep. Uh, John 13, verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my psuche for you. Lay down my life for you. Now, here's a problem. Most of us, when we do a word study, okay? Everybody's done a word study before, right? And we get out our English concordance, right? And if we want to say, well, what does the New Testament say about soul? We look up the English word soul, 
and then we go to the New Testament and we read all the things that it says about soul. What's the problem that we've already seen with that, with that dynamic, that, that approach? Exactly. I would have missed all of these passages that use the word psuche to talk about my, my being, my life, right? And so I would miss an entire aspect of the word if I was just looking at it in English. Uh, I'm not saying the English translation is wrong. I'm just saying if you want to get a full understanding of what the, the, the Greek writers of the New Testament meant when they use words like soul, then you need to look at all of the ways that it's translated in English because usage determines meaning, right? Usage determines meaning. Um, Acts 2 and verse 27. For you will not abandon my psuche to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, Jesus' life, being, existence, was not abandoned to Hades. Now, how was it rescued from Hades? One word starts with an R. Resurrection, right? Resurrection. That's how your psuche, your life, is saved from the realm of death, is resurrection, right? Resurrection. Um, now, again, that doesn't mean that you cease to exist when you die, um, because your, your soul still exists. Jesus says that God is the God of the living, not of the dead, right? Um, but he says that in the context of resurrection, See, we have a tendency, again, to think the goal of human existence is to be disconnected and divorced from our human bodies, our bodies, and just go and float away and be a ghost somewhere, right? We think that that's, maybe we even think that's what Christianity teaches. Christianity teaches, though, that the goal is to be rescued from death, to be our existence, our being, our, our suke, to be rescued from the realm of the dead and to be given a new body to be resurrected. Resurrection is the goal. Resurrection is what it's all about. We did a series not too long ago on resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. If there's no resurrection, then all of this is meaningless, right? Uh, now, the Greeks, philosophers, Gnostics, um, many of us believe that it's, you know, it's all about being ghostly. But as far as the Bible is concerned, it's all about resurrection. And Jesus, Jesus was rescued from death from Hades um, by resurrection. That's how his soul, his psuche, was rescued from uh, death, from Hades. Acts 20, 9 and 10. Oh, we're running out of time, aren't we? Um, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting in a window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer, you know, preachers, uh, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed, for his psuche is in him. His life, right? His life. It means he's alive, right? Um, he's still going to live. Um, again, we saw that meaning and that usage in the Old Testament with Nefesh. Same idea. Same type of usage. Completely consistent uh, from the Old to the New Testament. Um, Acts 20, verse 24. Paul says, when he's going to Jerusalem and everybody says, hey, you're going to die there, he says, I do not account my psuche of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, if I got in the pulpit and I said, listen, church, I don't account my soul of any value, right? That's not the way you would take that, right? right. The same way that Paul right. was saying it. Paul was saying, I could die. I, I, I don't account my psuche, my existence, my life, 
of any account. I could die, and that's not precious to me. Why? Because Paul believed in the resurrection, that his psuche, his nefesh, would be rescued from Hades and be given a new body. That, that's a great point. Now, when you get into Paul, we'll talk a little bit more like soul. But again, I, and, and I would encourage you, do that. Go to um, like uh, blueletterbible.com, maybe.com, blueletterbible, just Google that, and, and look up all the uses of psuche. It's not as hard with New Testament because there's only like 100 usage versus like the Old Testament. You've got hundreds and hundreds. Um, um, yeah, Strong's would. Yeah, if you look it up by the number. Yeah, look it up by the number, and, and it'll tell you all the usage. So, so go through it. Yeah, yeah. So go through, yeah, and look up the Strong's number, and then look up all the Greek usages of it. Um, yes. Right, yes. Right, yes, exactly. And so what I would say is this, that there are a few exceptions where... Um, the Bible, and, and by few I mean like two, two that I can think of. One where Jesus says body and soul in hell. The other is in Revelation where it talks about the souls of the dead under the altar crying out. Um, those are about the only two times where it talks about your psuche as being disembodied, different from, separate from, divorced from your body. Um, almost always it talks about psuche being your life, your existence, your being. Even when Paul talks about your soul, um, uh, in, in fact, Ephesians 6.6, 6, it's translated as heart. Uh, Philippians 1.27, it's translated as mind. Um, so again, there's overlap, right? There's overlap. Um, so the most important thing to realize is that our soul is saved from death by resurrection. And that's why the resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, is absolutely pivotal to Christian doctrine, to Christian hope. Because our hope is not in a divorced, ghostly state. Paul, we'll talk about that next week, but Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 calls that naked. He calls that naked. He calls that unclothed. And he says that's not our desire, to be unclothed. Our desire is to be more fully clothed, is to put on the new body, the resurrected body. And so when we're willing to give up our soul, our life, for Jesus, if we're willing to give our life to Jesus, then he promises to resurrect our life from Hades and give us a brand new body and we'll live with him forever. So we'll talk more about that next week. Thank you guys. Have a great evening. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit ccmcdermott.org.